Well, now, when it comes to the breeding time, what I like to do is come the end of March when I, you know it's actually the cock's song that brings the hen into breeding condition. The hen, the cock, will stand and he'll, he'll just pull himself out of all shape with his song. And it's that that brings the, the hen into breeding condition. So I usually keep the cock and the hen side by side with at full partition. And after a week then, I pull the partition out roughly about a half an inch. And the cock and the hen will be able to see each other. And he'll start to feed the hen. So I leave them like, like that for about a week. And then I take out the sliding partition and I put in a wire partition. And he'll actually feed her through the, the wire. And you'll know that everything is progressing. That they're taking to That they're that. taking. Does and it ever happen that they don't? Oh, quite often. You'd imagine the wood, and then and the usual thing is in for the hen. It's the hen that'll fight and actually chase, maybe kill a cock if you, if you left them, if you didn't separate them again. It's the hen that really turns. But once, they get, once you get them used to through the wire cages and that, you can put in the nest then, and uh, she'll go ahead, and the, the cock will actually tread the hen probably there immediately when you let them in. So you know everything is all right. Do you actually make a nest for them, in other words? No, just started off with a, a nest and you put a bit of, sew a bit of felt. You just put in a plastic uh, cup? A plastic cup, like that, and put in a bit of felt into the bottom of it and just tack it down with a bit of thread and uh, put in the nesting material then. What is it? Uh, you, you buy nesting material, old uh, moss or anything like that. And to buy them now, you can buy them now made up in little things like, and it's cleaned and that, and uh, old feathers, anything like that, hair, horse hair or anything like that, and they'll build their nest. And all going well, then you should have an egg maybe within six or seven days. Both birds build? Oh, both birds will build and carry, yeah. And uh, when the first egg is laid then, we usually take out the first, the egg, and substitute it with a, a dummy egg. And, uh, well, if they were left, sometimes you get a hen, and a hen will go to, she, what we call it, she'll sit tight on after the first, or after probably after the second egg, and which means then after 14 days, you'd have two birds out today, you'd have a bird out tomorrow, and you'd have a bird out the next day. So by taking out the first three eggs that's laid and replacing them with a dummy egg, and then on the morning that the fourth egg is to be laid, you take out the dummy eggs and replace her own eggs. So she's sitting tight, and then the eggs will all hatch out to one day. And the youngsters all have uh, the same, they're all the one size, and they'll be all there, gape for food. When normally you'd have one youngster or two youngsters, two days older, and they'd be gaping and getting all the, the food. So it helps out in that. But I thought it was the nature of eggs that they had to be kept warm when they were hatching. How do you no, substitute no. for the hen? No, no, once the, the egg doesn't need to... It's only, it only has to be kept warm when she is actually after sitting on it. Now, after two or three days, if she got off the eggs, what we call them, they're, they're dead and shelled, they're chilled, that they're no use. But once they're, when you take them out the day that they're, they, you can keep them, oh, you can keep them for days, you can keep them for a week. It's only after they're being started that the embryo starts to form that that a cold chill then and do the damage. Will kill the bird in the shell. But you have to watch because sometimes you'll get a cock that'll actually annoy the hen and maybe chase her off the nest. 
And that would happen, that you'd get a eggs that would be chilled. She'd be off the eggs for maybe a night and you chill, so you have to watch, and if you get a cock, some people don't leave the cock in at all, they just leave the cock in to thread the hen, and to get the eggs fertile, and to take the cock out. But I don't like to do that, I leave the cock in, and if everything is going all right, I leave all right to itself. It's only if you get a cock that is annoying the hen, or getting her off the nest or anything like that, well then the damage can be done, so you'd separate and put the, the slide back in and put the cock into his own cage. Do you ever get a lazy hen that can't be bothered feeding her chicks? Oh, quite often. And in fact, you'd have to, last year now, I had to foster young ones out to another nest. You will, you'll often get, it's quite a common occurrence to get a, a lazy hen that just won't feed. And what happens? We call them non-feeders. Do the cocks get uh, upset oh, if, at that? No, if you have a good cock, he'll feed. But uh, sometimes you get them and you just have to foster them out. I kept pigeons as a teenager and um, I suppose I always had the, the interest in them and uh, a couple of years ago I was down at um, a farm uh, near Lusk and the man there had uh, an aviary and I told him that I would be interested in uh, at some stage starting into birds so he told me when I was ready to start to come along and he would give me any encouragement he could. And did he? He did indeed, yes, and he started me off with my first pair and uh, told me where I could get some more. And I joined the Irish Native Bird Keepers Society and um, everybody there has been very helpful getting me birds. What do you get out of it? Um, I don't know what I get out of it really. I get great satisfaction out of it. And uh, I work at night time, which means I'm free during the day. and. Uh, I find it a fascinating pastime. I'm looking forward now to breeding the birds. And you enjoy just looking at them. Do you enjoy listening to them? Um, well, their native birds are not very melodious. Uh, you want canaries for singing, but yes, I suppose they're in their own way. They have an attraction. Granddad, how have you reacted to this extraordinary turn of events? Well, I must say I never liked the idea of a bird in a cage and it wouldn't even have a budgie. But I find that they are fascinating. And what I find, more than anything, is the interest and the love everybody has, the people that are belong to the, the different societies, and the way the thought that they put into looking after and uh, developing the bird. And they, they're so contented, the birds. They seem to really thrive in it. We have one uh, fella, Charlie, we give them all names because we've got <laughs> children. And of course, they, they take a great interest. But I, I think that it's more than anything is that it's, uh, the bird seems so still so free. The cages aren't small. And when you see them here, they're in small cages, obviously. Couldn't have them large flights. But we have them in uh, different we have the extended aviaries. And people put, uh, like you put in for their nesting, and to watch the nesting, the, the materials that's put in for them, and uh, to see the beautiful work that goes into building the nest. But not only that, they, they have flowers and trees growing all around them. They're able to feed on the grubs, and they're protected, but yet in their own environment. So they're not uh, captives. And you don't feel 
that poor thing going around there endlessly flying in the one circle. They're not. They seem to say be relaxed and contented there, and so they're ready to be. The birds in the wild, really, because they don't have to go hunting for their food. Yeah, but they it makes you interested. They always have clean water. <laughs> it makes you interested in the other birds too. Like we were always interested in birds in the wild, but it, it makes you become more aware of them. And therefore, now even now, whereas before I always put birds, food out for the birds, because I liked animals in general. But now I'd always remember the birds in particular. You know, and I think that uh, you, you sort of think to yourself, gosh, uh, when you hear now of the farmers uh, digging up all their hedgerows and the birds, then what will they feed on? And we take them so much for granted. And yet each individual bird has such beauty of its own. So I think it makes you more aware, and particularly if children could see more of this sort of thing, they would be more aware. You find the birds are a kind of focal point in the family, and that there is a minting factor in um, Yes, it's, it's, we have four children, and their, their interests are um, very varied, but probably the one interest that they all have is the birds. Is all, it, everyone wants to see and make sure that they have food and they have clean water and that there are no cats around, the cats are chased out of the garden. Although we have a cat of our own that doesn't go near them, just has a look and takes an interest and will wander off. Well, he was persuaded the first day not to go <laughs> near them and he hasn't gone near them since. But they do, like in the morning, see, how are the birds? And uh, in the cold weather, you're wondering how they are and... We brought them in into the garage. You know, the garage is turned over to an aviary because the aviary itself wasn't protected enough outside. We changed the garden and it wasn't protected. We felt that the weather gets severe in scurries, like the wind comes up pretty strong. We're going to build and a bigger uh, aviary in, in, in March, please God. We intend building a big aviary. But I know I never thought I'd get as interested in birds. Animals, yes. We have dogs and cats and rabbits, so I like that sort of thing. But birds, I never thought. Like, to see, yes, and to observe. But personally, I could spend the day here. And I sort of feel sorry that I didn't make our children, when we got to a party, another one a study, and sort of felt, well, you could have left the study and come. Because I didn't think it would be so interesting. Well, now, that's the training. We are about six weeks old. We put the we hang those training cages on that, and they get used to going in and out. And then when they're used to going in and out, we take the cage off and handle them, and get them going from perch to perch. You simply move your hand. From oh one yes, side from one other. side to the other, or a training stick, like you know. And what's the idea of this? Well, the judge has a judging stick when he's judging them, and I mean he's looking at this side of the board, and if he wants to look at the other side, he just puts in the see the way the board is actually turning. And the whole thing is to get a bird steady. And uh, now that is a nice bird. It has a nice round head. And the eyes are well set, centered. And the wings must just come tip to tip, just at the top of the tail. Now, if those wings crossed, they'd have bad wing carriage. And the tail must just come down into a nice, what, the, uh, what they call is a pipe tail. It's like the stem of a pipe. Now, some of the ones, now you get them, and they have, uh, just show you one here now, and it hasn't got a very good tail. Now, you can see the difference there. That has a sort of fan tail. It's not near as tight. And one of the wings is dropped. See the way it has, it has dropped now in comparison to the, 
Is there no. anything you can do about that? Not really. It's in the breeding. So what will you do that, with that bird? Well, I just won't breed from that hen now. And uh, really, it's the hen that passes on the type. The type of bird you want. You must have a hen with good type. Now, the size is borne by the cock. You have to have a good big cock to pass. It's the cock that passes the size on. But it's really the hen that you want for to get the type. Well, are there, like in racehorses, are there great sires and great dams? Oh, yes. Uh, I have, there's one green cock over here. And that green cock there is as good as any hen. Because that cock will go over and it'll actually pick the young ones on the top of the head until they gape for food. And he'll pump food into them. That is a marvellous cock there. Now, you'll get hens, and they're lazy hens. They'll come off, and they'll pick for themselves, and they'll get on, and they might feed one youngster or two youngsters. And if the other ones are not gaping, they just won't get any food, and they're left trailing behind. So if you have a good cock, he'll feed, and they'll feed all the youngsters. In the summertime, most of the birds are fed. Uh, during the breeding season, they're fed on soft food, which they rear the young with and we soak the canary seed. The ordinary canary, mixed canary that we buy, or a plain canary, we can soak it overnight with hot water, and it bursts the seed. It helps the, the parent of the bird to feed the young bird that you don't have uh, hard seed, and some of the birds may die if they can't break the seed to feed the youngsters. So we so it's mostly soft feed throughout the summer, and the hard seed in the winter. With a little bit of soft feed and on and off. Well, the soft feed we use, it, we, again, we import. It's imported through the pet shops. Uh, it's an egg food, biscuit, and some brown bread they mix in it. But most of the fanciers in the country, if you know, make their own. They save up the hard uh, afters from at home. They keep it till it gets hard, and then they put it into a liquidizer. They mix it up. They mix a bit of egg food. They boil an egg and hard boiled eggs. They mix it up with break up biscuits, arrow, the arrowroot biscuit, and they bake it to take the, the moisture out of it that it won't go mildew, and then they can use it for uh, whatever proportion they need to feed the board with. And they can mix a bit of ordinary seed or soak seed with the soft feed, which makes it a little bit more attractive for the board to pick it. We get them, the, the basic diet now is uh, four parts canary to one part of red red. But then, two days a week, I give them conditioned seed. And it's a mixture of all different classes of seed. And we get the blue maw and Quaker tonic grains and easy soap. Now, when the young ones, the babies are out, I soak seed for uh, 48 hours. I have jam jars there, and I alternate them like, and get them. And it's 48 hours. And they love that. And uh, they'll feed the young ones. But uh, chickweed now, is a marvellous green food. And as long as you can get chick feed, weed, it'll, uh, they'll love to feed. And I have young ones there, and their crops will be full of green, where the, the parents would feed them green in preference to anything else. But then we give them hard-boiled egg. You boil an egg for at least 20 minutes until it's really hard-boiled, and put it through a sieve, and then mix it with a, an egg food that you buy in the things, peck over some of those, like, you know? And uh, you give them that twice a day. And uh, bread and milk, 
cut up little dices of bread and milk and sprinkle a little bit of moss seed on it. But then you give them tonics, like I give them abidex drops to keep them in condition, like, you know. That's what you give babies. That's what you give babies, yeah. But there again, like, it's the same now, as I mentioned to you, chickweed, dandelion is a great green food. I mean, the iron content in that in it is great for them. But there again, you have to be very, very careful where you go out and pick that. You just can't walk out along the road or into a field now and pick green food and say, well, I bring that home for the birds, because you don't know what's after being sprayed on it. Even months previous, it has happened that fanciers have wiped out their whole thing by bringing in green food that has been contaminated with sprays and insecticides. Can you pick it and wash it? You can wash it, but there again, some of these sprays go right down into them. So you have to be very careful. I'm looking now that there's a man that keeps birds and he has a big garden and he has ocean to chickweed and he wouldn't let spray into the garden at all at all. So I'm very lucky in that respect. Like Other than that, like the lads in the city now, they have to go into the greengrocer shop and depend on cabbages and lettuce and that for the green food. Yeah, the colour feeding. Most canary feed, uh, breeders would call it uh, careful red or red pepper, which they use for colour feeding Yorkshire canaries, uh, colour feeding Norwich canaries, and they colour feed most of the native people that breed for mules, say the goldfinch canary, they colour feed them to bring up the colour, the nice rich colour, which makes the bird more attractive looking for show. And these are peppers? Uh, pepper. It's a red pepper. It's ground down, and again, we do have. It's bought in through the pet shops from England. Uh, it comes in from foreign, and it's sold in grams. And uh, you you mix the the red pepper powder is mixed with the soft feeding, and the caramel red is sold in liquid, and it's mixed with the drinking water. So if you have a bird that's, you've got to get them at the right time to color feed them. If you say feed the birds. The second week of their molt, you're going to have a, a board with colour feeding in the feather and colour feeding that won't take to the feather that has already started to grow before you got the colour feeding. So you're going to have a spotty coloured board. So it's, no, it's better to feed them before they start molting, at least a week, two weeks before they start molting, that you'll have the board throughout because it gets into the bloodstream and it comes out in the feather. So this is where you have the rich colour. And most of the fanciers now, in the new colour, the reds as they call them, they go for colour. And uh, the Norwich goes for colour, and the Yorkshire goes for colour. And again, we come back to the mule and hybrid, they're also colour fed. So if you have uh, a team of birds that you want to show for, for uh, exhibition, you must colour feed them to get the, the proper tone in the board and the condition. It's a pepper, Spanish pepper you mix with a food that brings out this red in them. There's a red glow through the feathers, there and is. particularly at the throat. There is, yes. But that's, uh, that bird now is not well colour fed, you know. It should be shown all through. There should be no breakage at all on them, you know. Well, the red first originated over in Holland and Belgium. And uh, strange to say, it was a priest, his name I, I just forget at the present time, but he took a great interest in these here. And the red canary is bred down 
from the American red-hooded siskin. You mate a red-hooded siskin to a small, good-type canary, and this is the way the red canary was first started off. They're a beautiful deep pink, really. You don't see these too many of these in public, do you? Well, no. Uh, specialist bird. They are a specialist bird. The colour is really bred in them, and in judging red canaries, a hundred points is allowed overall in the bird, but 50 points out of 100 is for colour itself. Then the other 50 points is divided up for legs, size of beak, where your eyes placed, what your head's like, what your wings are like, and carriage of your bird, feather of your bird. All this comes into it. It originally came from the Canary Islands, like, and they were brought in and they were domesticated and they were bred. Now, I mean, the original canary was an old green canary. It wasn't what we know now as the colours that are in them now. That's a cinnamon there now, and that's a variegated buff, and that's a variegated yellow. You can see that the yellow is much stronger, and that's a cinnamon mart, and uh, that's a three-part stark, because when you look at it, you can see that the green is dominant by three parts. So that's what's shown as a three parts. That one now is only a little bit of yellow under the vent. So we really class that as a foul. F-O-U-L. Um, yeah. It's just a foul colour that's in it, like away from the green. There's lots of fanciers that do not like keeping birds for exhibition. They like keeping birds in the navy and trying to cross one with another. They produce what is known as a hybrid, and this is a beautiful bird. And this is the whole interesting thing about our fancy, is you always try to do better each year, and better and better, and you always try to breed something else that no one else has bred. Matter of fact, a friend of mine was on the phone to me from England last night, and uh, we should have saw for the first time, but I think we'll see probably next year, black canaries on show. All black canaries. Well, uh, this chap owns two or three pet shops. And a young man came into him one day and he said, uh, would you like to purchase some canaries? Oh, he says, I'm packed out with canaries. I can't take any more. What kind of canaries have you anyway for sale? Oh, he says, black ones. He says, say that again. He says, black ones. Uh, I'm afraid you haven't got black ones, he says. Have you painted them or have you dyed them? No, he says, I have black ones. You're not kidding me. No, I'm not kidding you. Where do you live? He told him where he lived. So he couldn't wait until closing time with his shop till he got into the car and he went round. And really, there were black canaries. There's no question about that. He saw the pears, how they were bred and everything else, and he purchased two young ones. 
and he paired those together. And he did not breed a black himself. But he went back to the chap who had sold him these two blacks. One was a really dumpling black, and the other was a splash black. When he went back to him the second year, the chap had also bred two more black canaries. And with the result, I think he paid a large sum of money, but now he has got this pair that is breeding the blacks, and he's interbreeding his young ones together, and he reckons that he will produce really outstanding, dominant black canaries. You can breed, if you're looking for a particular thing in a bird, you can uh, pair a father to daughter, which is much better. I'd prefer to pair a father to daughter than a brother to sister. But you can, if you're looking for a particular thing, but it's not good to go too close. So that's why we have them all around. And uh, you keep a breeding register and you know the offspring of each bird, so you won't breed, unless you're breeding for a particular purpose say for a head or a feather type or something like that. And there again, you always breed buff to yellow. You never breed two yellows or two buffs. You breed buff to yellow or yellow to buff. Because other than that, you get what the fancy calls is a, a duster. You get a bird with real, you see the yellow has a real fine feather, whereas the buff has a sort of a coarser feather. So if you put two buffs together, you're going to get a real coarse feather. So you always, it's the, practice in the fancy to breed buff to yellow and yellow to buff. Mm. Well, has this uh, breeding and inbreeding and interbreeding gone about as far as it can go, do you reckon? Uh, well, I would say it has now. I would say it has. Like most people have tried everything, you know, double and yellow, double buffs, you know, even breeding with another species. That's a, a Norwich board, an orange canary, along with a border to get roundness and size, you, you know. So I think everybody's tried, or most people have tried that, you know. So you think the but fancy th is at an end, really? I would think so, but that's where you're really getting, you're losing out, you see, they're breeding with different species to try and get size, you know, and length and what have you. But, uh, you mean they're going away from their own species? They're going away from their own species, I reckon so. I reckon so. And that's a bad thing? That's a bad thing. Oh, definitely it is. It is. Like humans, they're open to all ailments. They can have asthma, they can get pneumonia, they can, they can get uh, it's, it's, uh, loose bowels, and uh, they can be too tight. Like, there's oceans that they can get TB, avian TB. There's numerous things that they can get, just like humans. But you'll have your own little ways of counteracting those and your own little treatments that y you have. And, uh, as regards, like, I don't know whether a vet, you can send them off and have them tested and that for different diseases, but really, like, they're, they're so small that, uh, unless a vet specialised in it, there wouldn't be much point in going to them for birds, like, you know. You reckon you'd know more about it yourself? You possibly would. Once you breed birds and that, you'll get to know their ailments yourself, and you'll know how to counteract it. Cleanliness is the main thing in 
in, a, in any bird house like this, to keep it clean and keep it well disinfected. Now in the summertime, you can get what they call red mite. And that gets into all little, little wood crevices in the timber. So there, when you're making your units, you'll glue and have them really dead tight and filled and painted, that there's no place that the red mite can get into. But it can come in on green on greens that you bring in. It can, you could bring a bird to a show and it could be, pick it up there. So usually what you do when you come back to a show, you'd keep your bird separately for a while and you'd spray them and that. And you get stuff then and you go around your cage. It is usually in the hot weather that this little mite will come out in its numbers. You won't see it during the day. Your, your cages will be perfect during the day unless you look for little telltale signs. But it's at night that these little red mite comes out and they live on the blood, blood of the bird. And they'd leave a bird anemic in no time if they get into big numbers. So the main thing is keep your birdhouse clean and disinfected at all times. And when you bring them back from a show, you treat them like the astronauts. You would. You'd, you'd put them, separate them over, and you give them a spray in, and give them a little dust and a powder. And after a day or two, then you put them back in and you're sure that they're all right. They're better even out in the aviary, in the garden, it hardens them up. And I feel like if you have them closed up, the birds will go into a soft mold, and if you have any heat at all with them, they start losing and dropping the feathers. So the birds are much hardier and healthier with the, even the frost and the, the cold. And the native birds are much the same. They, being an outdoor bird, they're kept in aviaries, outdoor aviaries. So uh, other than that, the birds today, the standard is very high and in very good condition. So this is the weather really for showing the birds their, to their peak, peak condition for showing. What about the allegation of cruelty of using native birds uh, for cage varieties? Well, you can walk around here. And I don't know how many birds I've had a look at today, I've judged today, you know, it must be between two or three hundred, and I haven't seen one bird yet that looks unhappy. You know, so I don't think it's cruel. The birds seem all very, very content. They wouldn't breed so freely in, in captivity, you know, if uh, they didn't enjoy it. Just are, are they ever allowed to fly? A lot of these are bred in aviaries. You know, it's the easiest way to breed crosses such as this are in aviaries. But, uh, you know, I can assure you, an unhappy bird certainly wouldn't breed. Yeah, well, if they're actually bred in a navery or in a cage, I can't see any cruelty into it. Because as it is now, I mean, between the, our whole environment has been, I mean, the countryside has been denuded, and the, the, our own native birds, I mean, their habitat has just been pushed off. They're, they're just dying off between fertilizers and insecticides being sprayed. I mean, our own native bird population is getting very, very, very small. I mean, if it, things keep going on the way they are, they'll just die out. So, I mean, they'll have to rely on breeders then to keep things going. What native birds are caged? Usually the goldfinch. Well, you have the siskin, you can get the siskin, the goldfinch, the chaffinch, the bullfinch. Oh, there's numerous. The majority of them now can be caged. But there's new laws coming out now like that. They have to be bred in confinement before you can show them. 
As your birds here are, these as, yeah, canaries. Yeah. These, uh, they have to be bred in confinement and close around so that they can be shown. It's in England now at the present. Now you can't even sell a bird, a native bird, if it's not close around to prove that it has been bred in captivity. This is a question that has come up dozens and dozens of times. And uh, I don't think so, because if you look at our native birds, such as the bullfinch and the goldfinch, people tell me it's wrong to catch birds and put them in the cage. Now, I don't care what bullfinch or what goldfinch uh, you will catch in the wild. Have a look at it. And have a look at a good fancier who has a real good one and maybe has it in captivity, reared in an aviary over years. But you have a look at the condition of his bird to the wild bird, and you will see a vast difference. So therefore, keeping birds in a cage does not do them any harm. That is wrong. Eddie, how consistent are the judges? Well, in this country, well, if we take the Irish fancy, it's very consistent, be consistent because we have, uh, all our judges are Irish judges. They, they don't go international or we can't have international judges because it's not a standard board in, in the international countries. But if we take the native board, which is the goldfinch, linnet, bullfinch, and uh, chaffinch, if you have a good board, say a good goldfinch or a good linnet, a good siskin, it's nearly consistent, even internationally, because the, they go to look, the judge looks for the, the good size, big board, and good color, good feather. And if, they, if the board is any way big at all, it's the size they go for. So it's nearly consistent in the natives. But if you go to borders, it's up and down, because uh, one end of the country, the uh, judge may go for the large board, in the north of Ireland, may go for the smaller board, England, it's a standard board, but uh, it's sometimes it's consistent and sometimes it's not. It depends on the judge. Even the local, any of the local people who are well up in, in any of the fancy, uh, say the border, they nearly have a good eye for it. They know where, which, where the good board is, and they nearly pick it out even before the show starts, before the judge judge it. They say, well, that's a good board, and we'd uh, we'll go a long way. And it usually does. Well, we have, uh, you know, the same, well, obviously we have the same native breeds over in Wales. That's what I specialise in, you know, and uh, I was over in Balbriggan earlier on this year, and they asked me to come over and judge this show. And uh, you breed from your own native birds, the same ones they breed from here? Yes. The yeah. finches mainly. And yeah, yeah. So you've judged this class, have you? What are they? These are hybrids. Crosses between two British birds. And how many were in this class? There's only four in this class. And you have judged them, you've awarded yeah. the prizes. On what basis now, tell me? Well, you know, on what is the best example of its cross. You know, what we have here are four different crosses. They're all different colours? Yeah, they're all different. Well, they're all off different parentage. What we, the bird that's won... Uh, is a canary cock cross with a bullfinch hen. 
The second one is a linicock crossed with a bullfinch hen. Third is a goldfinch cock crossed with a linnet hen. And the fourth is a red pole cock crossed with a linnet hen. But they're all different species, and what you have to look for is the, the bird has to show both its parentage. And then you have a look at your type and quality. And what made that the first prize winner? Well, rarity is one of the things. It's an extremely difficult cross to achieve. Why is that? The well, birds don't take to one another. Well, we just don't know why it is so difficult. If it was easy, uh, there'd be a lot more than around. You know? And a lot of people try for that particular a cross. A lot of people try for that particular cross. The cross is normally very valuable, but unfortunately that is a ha happens to be a hen. The cockbird is much more colourful colorful and much more valuable. Well, do these birds breed on in turn? No. These birds are all sterile. All they're bred for is exhibition. And do they sing as well as their parents? The cocks will sing. The hens don't sing at all. And do they? Uh, which song do they sing? Do they sing the song of the father or the the dam? That can vary. If they're kept with canaries, although there's no canary in them, a lot of them will turn to canary song. They will imitate. Yeah, imitate. Yeah. And what do you look for now in judging these? Well, actually, you look for the best way to describe it is a tennis ball and a golf ball on top of that. Everything must be round. That's what I'd be looking for in them, you know. Regardless of size? Regardless of size, you know. You, get, you can breed them real big, but still they have the roundness on the body and that, that the round head coming from the eyes, from coming from the top of the beak right over the head, must be round, you know. Well, you two alongside one another here, and one's about twice the size of the other by the look of them. That's right. The gloucester is the smallest bird nearly in the hobby, you know. And there again, you must look for roundness again. And a straight line from the, the back of the head right down to the tips of the wings, you know. There must be no hollow in the back at all. And then under the throat, must be all round again, from under the throat down right under these, to the legs and good feather quality, you know. What way should the wings lie? The wings mustn't be crossed. They must lie perfect on, oh, just over the tail. They shouldn't be overlapped uh, at the tail. That's why there's a fault in them, you know. And it takes so many pints away from them when you would be judging them. Actually, now it's hard to judge that bird. He's have to wash themselves, you know, but he is definitely the best luster on show here today. When you say he's washed himself, how do you mean? Uh, he has put his head out through the drinker here and lashed himself with water. You know, you can see it here on his on his head there. You see where he's all wet on the top of his head. You see, we don't give them water before the show to stop them from doing that or they wouldn't have a chance when you'd be judging them. So the very minute they get it, then after judging, they'll have a good wallop in it. How important is it the way the bird shows himself, I believe they're trained to... Oh, you, you'll get one the very minute you see it. You know, he's well trained. He'll keep just hopping from perch to perch, perfect condition, you know. And he'll even show himself to you. And you'll get the bird in that's not used to being in a show cage and he's all the time fluttering up and down. You can't judge him, you know, he's wild, actually. But the real 
champion would say that going into show his birds, he has them trained to perfection. That he knows the way, what you're looking for, and it makes the job easier for you. you know? Have you ever come across a bird that knew it was at a bird show? Oh, yes. Oh, you'd meet them that know the very much you take them up. The first one show to perfection. They just hop from perch to perch and even stand the way you could look at them and before they'd move on again. Do you get much disagreement with your judgments? <laughs> well, I haven't so far, and I hope <laughs> I hope today is not going to be the first day. Ah, you would. You know, you wouldn't meet disagreements. You'd meet people that say, uh, could you explain why? Yeah. That board won at such a show, and he's only second today, you know? And then you compare the two birds. And you show them the points, and nine times out of ten, he'll agree with you, you know? If you work on points out of a hundred or anything? You will, yeah. To get so many points for head, body, uh, cleanness, showcase, you know. So, actually, you know, you might get a bird with, with uh, crossed wings and he might have a perfect body, but you only can allow so many points for the crossed wings, you know, if you take them points off them. And he could win beat a, another bird, because his body might be perfect, his head might be perfect. Oh, you'd be perfect, you know. So that's the way it goes. What do you look for in the eye? A nice, clear eye, just a small bit of brow over the eye. Small bit, you must show a bit of brow, you know. Whereas the border now, they must show a clear eye, no brow at all. Well, in the Gloucester, you look for that bit of brow and a wide, round head on the concert, that's a concert. Now you get a corona, which is a crested. It's a lovely bird too, you get perfect crest, you know. Just comes down over the eye, halfway over the eye, and it mustn't be broken in any part, you know. And a dead center in it, going to all angles, and coming down over the beak. This is as if he had a, a round hat on his head, a that's, brown hat. That's right, that's correct. Yes. They are really a lovely bird too, the corona. How do you know what sex the bird is? Well, the only true way is by their song. The cock sings and the hen doesn't. But you'll often get a hen that will have a, a little bit of a, a song early on. But that's the true way. But you will know after a while because uh, a cock is more active. It's much more active on the perch, jumping around and perking at her. A hen is inclined to be quiet and sit on the perch. Can you tell the sex of these birds, really, just by looking at them? I can in Yorkshire, but red canaries are very, very hard to do. They're very hard to do. Sometimes you're able to tell by the paler colour, the female, not like human life, where the female is better decorated than the male, but in the bird life, the female is weaker decorated than the male. Can you tell by the voice? Oh, you can tell by the voice, all right, because in a female, like human life, a female scolds all the time the same. The male is always there, looking sprightly and attractive at all times. <laughs>